0: to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. The weather back east has been crazy. Yesterday, it not only rained, it was a like real, real heavy rain, like monsoon rain. And last week, and earlier this week, we had a tornado watch. Now, I'm in New Jersey, right outside Philadelphia. I grew up here. I lived in LA for all that time. And when I lived in LA, you know, earthquakes, you don't worry about it. Comes, they go. I, I wasn't there for the big one. But a tornado just scared the hell out of me. And your phone starts beeping, and one actually hit. So hopefully they'll stop because I do never want to inspire one of them. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a gentleman who's an amazing guitarist, a very stellar career. Uh, we just talked earlier how the exact pronunciation of his name is, but I guess it's Bruce Colick. How you doing, Bruce? Oh, you said it even more interesting. <laughs> about cool, what about do Cool. Like? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Cool it doesn't it. matter. I'm just great. Thanks, thanks for having me. And uh, I'd love to jump in on that weather uh, discussion for a moment.
1: Uh, yeah, the weather's been getting weirder and weirder. And um, knowing that I travel a lot with my current band for the past 19 years, Grand Funk Railroad, and we mostly do these fly dates, you know, uh, so we can do... 50 dates in a year but every you know weekend we do one or two so you can imagine how many weekends though with the year i gone and the storms that i see are crazy the flooding i sometimes see when i'm you know visiting especially the midwest and then i have seen those kind of violent storms on the east coast but it was on the news last night here in sunny nevada they were showing your destruction and the possible tornadoes that you got in new jersey and on the east coast so wow i don't know what's going
0: on it's crazy well you live in nevada and i lived in vegas years ago and what people don't understand about vegas is that it's in a desert basically like it gets very hot in the day but at night you can freeze your ass off um this past winter
1: i could not believe how cool it was and cold it was i froze my ass off um I'm used to living in New York and LA, so I know what East Coast weather gets like. There's, there's not as much humidity here, and the heat is dry, but um, some days, you know, we're in the 100 days of 100 kind of thing, so the nighttime sometimes doesn't quite cool off, but because there's no humidity uh, like what you get in the Midwest or the East Coast, uh, it's not that uncomfortable. You can sit outside in the 80s and 90s and feel fine. You know what I mean? There's a nice, nice breeze. Uh, But I was shocked how cold it could get here, but we are in the desert. It's a different thing It's more extremities, but uh, my wife and I really love uh, the home and where we are here And it's a whole new chapter in my life because being a New Yorker who kind of transplanted for the kiss years Into LA once Gene and Paul moved there um, You know, I always was a little more uh, you know the East Coast West Coast thing but for me, I outgrew L.A. because it started to get very congested and difficult. The airport was impossible, and coming here has been a real uh,
0: a real blessing for us, so I'm really enjoying it. Plus, I have a pool. There you, you go. <laughs> I can call off, you know. Now, you're from New York originally, and now, who, your brother's guitarist. Is he your younger brother or older brother? No, Bob is my older brother, and we grew up in Brooklyn, and
1: he obviously was able to bring some really terrific music into the house, being like almost four years older, and I soaked it up right away. I mean, we, we grew up in the right era of, of, for rock guitar and, and rock and roll. You know, uh, we saw the Beatles. You know, I was 10. He was, you know, four years older, but the guitar just became my life, you know, right after that. It really did.
0: Now, how old were you when you picked it up the first time? About 10. Okay. And, uh, and, and you know what? It was natural for me. I mean, I still encourage people no
1: matter what level or I don't care how bad you are or not, it's, it's just something really healthy about playing an instrument. I think it's really good for the soul. It's good for the mind, good for the coordination, you know. But but I swear, um, I just seem to have a good um, ability with it, which uh, I was blessed with. Uh, I wasn't good at sports, if you get what I mean. You know how people uh, really do things well, you know. And, and uh, my friends encouraged me. And I started to dreaming, dream of being on stage and, and maybe even being in a big band. And, and those dreams came true.
0: Now, how did you start that dream, the ball rolling? I mean, you're playing guitar. I know a lot of people who I've talked to, musicians, had the high school band. But when did you sit there? I mean, you, you said you were a natural, but when did you sit there and say, holy holy crap, I, I can, I'm going to make a living out of this? Well, it's a great question. And I used to fantasize sometimes
1: about being, you know, successful and performing the big crowds and things because, you know, I'd look at Cream and The Who and Led Zeppelin and I'd go see these artists and I was crazy about the Beatles, knew every song and and obviously was learning how to play them and, and, and imitate them, grow the hair out, you know, everything. But it was once I started gigging, I actually first played bass in my bands because my brother was a guitarist, so I figured I'd be Paul McCartney, Jeff Bruce. He could be Eric Clapton, you know? But the first bands, I played bass, and then I realized, because I still played guitar at home, that I was a better guitarist than I was a bassist, or at least a better guitarist than the guitar player in the band, you know? Uh, but people would approach me when I was in clubs and stuff playing, or the high school, whatever we did. My first gigs were obviously not really in bars, but honestly, um, people said to me you know you're really good you're gonna make it and that's when i started to uh really feel better or more confident about it and uh i remember having an agent come see one band when um i I performed and the guy you know i had had good good people in the band but he just kind of singled me out and, and made a point of
0: you know, you're going to play with, with, with big people. You know, I don't know about the rest of the guys, but I I know you are. And I was just like, wow, that's great. But I was never, you know, cocky about it, believe me. Well, it's got to make you feel special, but then I think sometimes it may make you a little, not scared, but a little, you know, uneasy because you're all of a sudden you have these high expectations. Even though you can meet them, it must, for a young guy, it's got to be a little bit hard. Yeah, but it was like, it was my passion uh, believe me uh, being nervous about performing and being good and
1: uh, has always been uh, something I've struggled with but quite honestly that's a very common thing with performers. Um, you know be kind to them if you happen to be backstage before they're going on. There's a lot you know there's a lot of anxiety for a lot of performers but you know uh, the, the desire to do good, pushes me to always play the best I can and you know I really care of course but um, it is it is a uh, interesting process being a creative person that's why I'm always fascinated and so supportive when I go and see anybody play from a you know someone just singing with a piano player to a huge concert you know I realize that it's a special gift to share it with people and to watch somebody do it is always a lot of fun
0: so you're you're playing now. I know you ended up in the begin earlier days, not the earlier days, but the earlier days. You went on tour with Meatloaf. Now, how did that happen? So Meatloaf was really the first. Um, well, there was there was something before
1: that that I was so glad I did that helped me be prepared for Meatloaf. So let me just rewind just slightly before that. You
0: remember disco was really popular in the <laughs> mid seventies. Oh yeah, huge. <laughs> and and that was all I could do
1: in the clubs. I was like the versatile guy that could play, you know, the, that kind of material that there'd be a clean guitar, but on occasion, a little bit of more of a rock guitar. You know, we would do um, a lot of material. And one of the, uh, whatever was top 40 hits then. And then um, I wound up with both George McRae and then Andrew True, okay? But specifically with George McRae who had a big hit called uh, Rock Your Baby, okay? He became a huge star in Europe. He only was able to play like larger clubs in America but I went to Europe for um, two and a half months touring with him and even at one point was on stage at a, what would be considered the Grammys of Germany in an arena and and we performed
0: the band that he had and took to Europe performed with an orchestra, and choir. Could you imagine? Uh,
1: It was unbelievable. (laughs) So there I am around 22 years old and 75 and uh, I'm playing, uh, you know, in an arena and that's mind boggling, of course. After that, of course, I wound up uh, uh, with Andrew True and we did some interesting dates and we did TV like Don Kirshner and things like that. So my brother was the one that was a session guy and and much more known in um, uh, New York for uh, getting involved with bands and and things. And he got asked to um, audition for Meatloaf, and they were looking for two guitar players, okay? Um, Next thing I know, you know, and then you know my brother actually auditioned for Kiss before Kiss became, um, uh, you know, before they chose Ace and became famous, you know? So here we are in like 77 with Meatloaf putting the band together, and they love Bob. Bob had a resume already, he already did sessions and worked with people, you know, uh, and he worked, he did some gigs with Alice Cooper, uh, filming him for Steve Hunter and all. I was really green and I was kind of nervous about it, but my brother really uh, pushed for them to have the brothers, you know, do the Bad at a Hell tour. And wow, what a tour that was, I tell you. Um, we started out being booed off the stage, opening for Cheap Trick in, in Chicago. You know, Meatloaf came out 300 pounds in a tuxedo. You know that. Right. Um, it was unbelievable. No one knew the material yet. And it was like overblown Bruce Springsteen, New Jersey stuff. And then within a short month, I think we we're in New Orleans playing the CBS record convention. Uh, which is, of course, not CBS anymore, but, you know, it would be like Sony now or whatever. And, uh, you know, everybody's there, and they went crazy, and they loved it, and then they pump all this money in, and it gets all over the radio. You know, New Jersey, where you're at, dude, was one of the biggest places for me, love, okay? And the next thing I, would, I you know, we have a hit songs on the radio, we're doing Saturday
0: Night Live, and we're selling out arenas everywhere, okay? So that's how that gig got started. Now, I mean, it must be amazing, just, I always, uh, I'm astonished when people are on there for the ride, like, you know, you started when it was just, you said, getting booed, and then he just meteorizes, and as someone who's not the lead singer, but one of the two guitarists, it must be very interesting just seeing how crowds just build up and build up and build up. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, you know, my brother
1: was very vocal about some of it, um, which was funny because he had more experience. I was just, you know, watching everything go down. We had a big band. Most of them didn't really have a voice about much. You know, Jim Steinman was very eccentric and interesting, but we hung in there and I have to say, uh, I really wish there was an opportunity that that band actually would have done some sort of, uh, you know, reunion of, of some special dates because there was some magic with that band that I felt that um, everybody that performed on Bad at a Hell live on that original tour was really iconic in a sense that it really did shape his career. And, and that record has gone on, of course, to sell uh, over 40 million copies. Uh, there is, like, if you get the CD, even I think on iTunes and all, if you look at the Bad at a Hell album, there's a couple of bonus tracks, and it's actually... Uh, that band that I was in. So I'm on the left, my brother's on the right, and we do uh, the intro song, Bolero, which was the beginning of the concert. Uh, you know, not a song that was on uh, the record, something Jim Steinman came up with, and then we go right into Bad Out of Hell. And I'm playing all the Todd Rundgren riffs and all, you know, but yeah, it was really remarkable. And that was live from like Nassau Coliseum, you know. Uh, t- for me to go from, um, you know, little clubs and struggling with disco artists to now playing with um on stage. We even played the college that I went to, Brooklyn, I mean, Queens College, you know, and that was unbelievable for me. And then to play all those big arenas and talk about being prepped for my gig in Kiss,
0: you see what I mean? That was really what really helped. You oh, know? Yeah, I can tell totally you sense. But now before Kiss, you know, you, you also played with Michael Bolton in a band called Blackjack. How? Right. How did that? How did you meet Michael? I mean, is Michael Canadian? I'm not even sure. No, no, he's from New Haven, actually. Oh, I thought he was Canadian. But how did you meet right. Michael? I mean, you were playing with Meatloaf, and then uh, just you had known of Michael, or he had known of you, or how did you guys meet? No, he was another guy that that knew my brother actually, and at times Bob and I both um, performed with him. He went through this phase. He started out more as a blues guy in New Haven stretched out to a little more adding like his own originals and classic rock
1: kind of things and then he did some demos with Johnny Winters on guitar actually that got a lot of interest from what was then Polydor now would be Polygram right or whatever Uni Universal Um, and they didn't want a solo artist as Michael they really wanted him to be in a band so he actually approached um, Bob and I. Bob chose not to do the band. He didn't feel it was the right thing for him at the time. I carried on, became Michael's guitarist. We wrote a lot of the songs. We did the first album. We we found two terrific players, Jimmy Haslip on bass and Sandy Gennaro on drums, both guys I'm still in touch with. And uh, we recorded with a very famous producer, Tom Dowd. And uh, we struggled a bit, but it's kind of ironic that um we opened for peter frampton we we got out there in a way uh but we did two records and it just didn't happen for us but then michael reinvented himself and carried on and i continued to do some recording with him and then i toured with him and as michael bolton you know doing rock we were on a bill with bob seger which is where i met don brewer because don brewer from grand funk did many tours as the drummer of bob seger so that's how I wound up on the short list of guitar players when when Don and Mel um were gonna carry on with Grand Funk since Mark Farner went solo. So it's it's pretty
0: interesting kind of uh you see how, how you can connect all the dots if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, it's amazing. There's so many it's it's it is a small world, you know, people always say that but it's true. It's like everyone knows somebody and it it's networking and it's being a good person because if you're yeah. if you're a prick, no one wants to gig with you. Yeah, and,
1: and you know, you're making a great point. I wanted to add that like, a friend of mine recently asked me, so how did you persevere, all the different things you went through, and they really wanted to know. And I gave them some like, kind of positive stuff, but then they were like, but, and, and I knew what they meant. And, and um, really the answer I, I should have given right away was, uh, if you are talented, that's not enough. First, you need some opportunity to come up for you, okay? There are many, many people who unfortunately don't have that um, exposure or luck or um, networking ability to, to be known enough, you know what I mean, these, these really talented people that could be in their bedroom their whole life or their home and no one will discover them. Um, but even if you have that talent, and you get the opportunity now you have to answer the call that knock on the door if you know what i mean and you have to be ready for that and you have to be professional and you have to understand how to handle it because so many things can go wrong when you get a good opportunity you know that you know you you can just rub people the wrong way you could price yourself out of it you could not stand up for what you need to stand up for or get the bigger picture of what this, you know, opportunity might be. You know what I mean? Oh, so, yeah. Um, you really have to be ready for opportunities in life. And that, that's not just for musicians. That's for anybody.
0: Well, you know, we, we talk about opportunities. And, you know, how well, how did your opportunity with Kiss come up? I mean, that's something that, you know, talking about an opportunity, I mean, Kiss is one of the largest bands worldwide. I mean, you know, I'm 55. We all had the album... Uh, I forget what it was called with a sticker on it, and we all put it in our notebook. I think it was a rock and roll. Uh, I forget what it was called, but they're so they've been so big for so long. How did yeah. the opportunity come up for you? And you must have been sitting there going, "You know what? I've been doing something right." I mean, that was my goal was to do something right, but um, it was uh, an interesting um, kind of path to 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 actually for me to have that door open. And it started with, living in New York was a big advantage, okay, number one. Uh, I actually
1: did, not everybody knows this, but I was one of the cattle call people that auditioned for them uh, when they were gonna replace Ace Frehley, right? Uh, I wasn't really emotionally ready or necessarily kind of tuned into what KISS would need at the time. So I remember Gene saying, nice vibrato, and that was it. Now, my brother did recommend me, but it, it didn't you know, leave their consciousness, if you get what I mean. In other words, Paul and Gene were aware of me, that, all right, Bob said that his younger brother can play guitar. Now, fast forward to they settle on Vinnie Vincent because Vinnie wrote good songs, and they just couldn't find the right guy they felt. So Vinnie does lick it up. And then they take, you know, take the makeup off and lick it up, right? And they introduce Vinnie Then he doesn't want to sign the contracts, okay? Uh, They have to get rid of it, right? They do a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, I always felt. That's my opinion. And they wanted, since guitar playing was going faster and faster and wilder and wilder, they asked Grover Jackson, a very famous guitar maker, Who's on your list of favorite guitar players? And they recommend this guy, Mark St. John. Okay. That wasn't his real name. It was actually Mark Norton. But Mark was a very fast, creative guitar player. Not really a rock blues guy, but he fit that bill that they thought they should have somebody speedy and, you know, flashy and everything, right? I remember seeing a new guitar player announcement in Kerrang! There's no social media. There's no internet yet. You know that. Right. It's 80s more. And I look at Mark, and I go, I, I see what they say about him, and I go, this is wrong. This doesn't feel right. Now, that wasn't jealousy. Just my instinct saying, I don't get it, okay? Because they mentioned some of the people that he was influenced by. And to me, Kiss is about... The classic rock groups that I grew up with, that I know Gene and Paul worship, from Led Zeppelin to the Beatles, meaning Jimmy Page and uh, Eric Clapton
2: and Jimi Hendrix, not Alan Holdsworth and speedy jazz fusion guitar players. Okay, that that Mark was into. Okay, so or even a Randy Rhodes, you know, people like that. You get what I mean? Right. So they
1: you know, firm up that Mark is the guitarist, they go in the studio and do Animal Eyes, and somehow um, no one would ever guess, of course, when you have an opportunity like that, that suddenly you come down with a strange arthritic condition called Reiter's Syndrome, spelled with an R-E-I-T-E-R-S, that blew up his arm, okay, his hand got swollen. Well, you can't play guitar with a small hand, right? <laughs> um, he got some of the work done on Animal Eyes because he really did play some great stuff. So I don't want anyone to feel that my criticism of him is that I didn't respect him as a musician. I really did. I didn't necessarily feel like he was, he had his, uh, you know, kind of his roots and his, you know, education of vocabulary of guitar playing proper for Kiss, what I think Kiss needs, you know, but. And then, as you know, uh, KISS at times used ghost guitar players, like my brother, okay? And Paul reached out to me. Uh, I know some of that had to do with this guy who was his friend called Mitch Weissman, a guy who looks like Paul McCartney He was in Beatlemania back way back in the days, if you remember that Broadway show. And Mitch uh, was a talented guy who co-wrote some things with... Paul, who also knew about my playing and thought I'd be good to help. So I got the call to go in the studio like my brother, and I went there. Paul just wanted to be sure I had a guitar with a you know one of those fancy Eddie Van Halen tremolo arms called the Floyd Rose, which I did. I just got one put together. That was pretty novel in 1984, you know? Right. And uh, he was really happy with what I did. I didn't ask too many questions. I just did my job played the solo that they needed, added some more riffs on another song, and then he said to me before I left, don't cut your hair. It was about shoulder length at the time. And I looked at him like, "Uh, okay, I didn't know what that meant. Like, why would he care? You know, I could walk into a session, you know, shaved head, what would it matter? You're not even going to credit me on the record, you know? And then sure enough, he was aware I was not that Mark had some sort of health issue that would force him to be on the sidelines for a while and then they... now I literally was king of the world okay getting that phone call to be you'll to be in the band for two weeks okay that's all that was promised two maybe six weeks we gotta see how Mark does
0: right can you imagine that Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it's, 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 yeah, especially when it turns into 12 years. But as I, you know, went and there I was, you know, first class flights, you know, limousines and
1: sold out gigs in Europe and traveling with these guys, you know, on the top of the world. And I kind of felt like I'm probably going to do the rest of Europe, don't know what will happen in America and then there was the break when we came home, and then Mark was better, and they were gonna bring Mark out on the road, because contractually they had to give him a shot at the gig, and he was there, imagine how awkward that was, you know? Um, and yeah, I uh, I wanted the gig, but I wasn't gonna do, you know, like, like those, you know, uh, ice skaters, you know what I mean. And sabotage, you know him. You know
0: what was that? Nancy Kerrigan and uh, Tanya Harding. Yeah, Tanya Harding. <laughs> so I I used to jam with him backstage.
1: I, I took a very, you know, um, Norman Vincent Peale uh, positive thinking attitude about it. That it's going to be what it's going to be. It's not in my it's not my decision. I just got to do the best I can do. I may as well warm up with him. And they had him kind of learn the show, watch me, you know. And then they asked him to do. Uh, after a while out on the road, they asked him to do half a show, the first half, and then I pop in. Can you imagine how weird that was?
0: Yeah, that must be that must be a little awkward because you're. It's yeah. for the audience. They're going. It's like when you see a soap opera and they say playing the part of such and such. Right. Yeah, exactly. But you gotta remember back then without social media nothing could be really easily quickly spread or discussed right
1: they didn't know who they were going to see that uh, Kiss guitar player uh, seat you know so he did a second half of the show after I did the first half and then they let him even though I was still in my Kiss animalized outfit they let him do a whole show and then quite honestly they realized um, that it was time for him to go home and they offered me the gig, and that was like just days before we were going to do Animalize Live Uncensored. You know the uh, the live gig from Detroit that got filmed and released. So it was quite a trip.
0: Now, so
1: What a weird way to get into
0: an iconic band. Right. I, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Now, when, once you got in, did you know you would come in? Did you think it would be for 12 years? I mean, we all know Kiss isn't going anywhere. They're KISS. I mean, you know, let's be honest. They're everyone, KISS will be around selling out uh, arenas as long as they want to. But did you think you would be in the long run? Because, I mean, 12 years is a very long time in a band. Right. I, I didn't. I used to think, you know, if I got the five years out of it and then they just went
1: back to the original guys, or they lost interest. You remember Gene used to get very aggressive about movies and television and acting and business things. And, and, you know, if Paul lost interest in being the the Paul Stanley guy without the makeup, you know, I I didn't know. But, you know, it took its natural course, and no one ever could have predicted that. Although by the time they were ready to um, do the reunion, which was kind of, in many ways, um, forced by the catalyst
0: would have been Kiss Unplugged, um, which we were doing these convention tours, which was like a tip of the hat to the makeup era and celebrating with the special fans that would spend back then, this was a lot of money, $100 to see us. You, right. know, you realize how, how absurd that is now. <laughs> and it's, you know, wow, right? Anyway,
1: um, I remember me and Paul talking about it. Gene came up with $100 and I said, what do you think, Paul? Shouldn't it be maybe 75? It certainly sounds like a lot of money. And Paul Paul was wavering in between, but Gene was like, I'd rather have less people at the 100 if it's really going to turn them off. And obviously, we did very well, but MTV people came down, they saw it, they realized, let's do the unplug thing, but we want you to have a reunion with Ace and Peter. And that was really what would kind of uh, be the catalyst for the end of my, my run.
0: Now, was it hard for you? I mean, did you, you know, it seems like you didn't see it coming, but what's going through your mind because you've been there for 12 years? I mean, you even sang a song on one of their albums. What's going through your mind because you've been sitting here? It's, well, it's 12 years. It's like, okay. it's like a, if, you know, if you get divorced, it's like all of a sudden, you I know. Guess, I
1: mean, we were scheduled to go into the studio, which we still did. I mean, I didn't know about the reunion until we started mixing that record, Carnival of Souls, which had to be put on hold for a while uh, to release it because of the reunion tour. But quite honestly, um, I always kind of felt like they could do a reunion. I know Ace and Peter were certainly um, hoping for a reunion because playing the clubs and whatever they were trying to do could not compare to... The success of KISS the, the KISS name just like when Gene does dates he does okay but he can't touch it Paul can't touch it either there's something about KISS being booked you get it so anyway uh, I kind of wasn't as surprised as Eric Singer but I uh, I, I accepted it and I, I looked at it I had a really interesting kind of view of what it meant you know it was time, you know, like the way Star Wars had to come back, if you get what I mean. Even Star Trek came back, right? You well, know, um, it, pop culture has cycles, and I think it was the 20-year
0: period, you know what I mean? Well, now, when you, when you joined KISS, how long did it take you to learn their whole catalog?
1: Well, I was given just like a specific, maybe like 30-song list to concentrate on, because the band even... In 84 had a large catalog. But we used to add songs and fool around with stuff. But typically, I can prepare for something like that in a couple of weeks. And then we started to rehearse, you know. I'm a pretty good learner, even though I know I have to spend time. Um, and then you, once it's in your DNA, all you have to do is refresh yourself. You know, you have to keep going over it. But I'm a big uh, Prepare yourself for the gig,
0: person. I don't leave things to the last minute. Sometimes with my schoolwork I used to, but not with music. I love music and respect it too much. Now, were you when you left them? Did you were you still going to go and you still went to the studio with them and stuff like that? What were your what What did you want to do then? Because you know you're coming from, Kiss. <laughs> it's, it's it's one of those things you are playing. It doesn't get bigger than KISS. What goes through your mind when you sit there and go, what am I going to do now?
1: It was really hard to realize that all that perks and all the status that you have as a KISS member will now be, you know, um, kind of lessened, okay? Um and I would be basically in some ways needing to reinvent my, myself and start all over. Um, fortunately, I had many business people who respected me and liked me enough to be supportive. I didn't crawl into a ball, you know, sobbing on the floor, you know, but I realized that I love music and I wanted to pursue new things. Who is actually with managed Kiss for many years, like still keep in touch with? He's, uh, he's in that Cherry Hill area, Philly. Look,
0: that's uh, where I grew up. I, I grew up yeah. in Cherry Hill. Right. And Larry managed at times
1: Cinderella and the Nelsons back in the 80s. He's continued on. Um, Larry was the one that was really good friends with John Karabi. And he told me, ironically, of course, John got shown the door when the Motley Crue version of, you know, that album and tour did get you know, like uh, it just didn't get any good reaction at all. And he wound up um, not having a gig. And Larry really thought the chemistry between John and I would be really good. And he was right. I got along with John very well, uh, musically, uh, we're, we're very different types of people, and yet we had a tremendous amount of respect for each other. Just recently, actually, we got a chance. It was many, many years since we played together, and we jammed together at a, a Kiss Expo in Indianapolis. It was really good. We played uh, some songs acoustically. So, but we formed a band called Union, and we did two studio albums and a, and a live record and a DVD. And there's many people who would love to. Uh,
0: uh, have us you know get back together and get out there to be honest, but we'll see. Now, you're with Grand Funk Railroad. You've been with them for a while. How did that come about? Because once again, that's another big band. I mean, they're a legendary band. I mean, you're one of these guys that you know you play with Meatloaf, you play with Kiss, you play with Grand Funk Railroad. I mean, you have to sit there. You're you're you have quite the pedigree in bands. Well,
1: it was like what we were saying earlier. How you you know hopefully. You network enough, and hopefully, um, you know your name gets thrown in the in in that list. You know, and you want to be on the short list. And like I said, the uh, and and I have a funny story about Grand Funk when Don Brewer, um, who was always kind of like, you know, uh, it was only three guys originally. You know, Mark Farner, of course, very talented singer, guitarist, songwriter. Don, who also wrote songs and wrote. We're an American Band and co-wrote some of the other hits and sang lead on many of the songs as well. And Mel Shocker, who's just this incredible bass player. And these three guys in 69 got together and, and they took off like a rocket. It was crazy, right? But as years went on, you know, they had their issues and then they had a reunion. And then that only lasted a little while. It sounds like Kiss, right? Yeah. You know, where people did whatever. And then Mark wanted to go on his own and Don and Mel needed to figure out what to do. So, once they got a hold of this guy, Max Carl, who's a really, really talented singer, he worked with 38 Special and had a solo career, great songwriter, real handsome guy with a powerful voice, blue-eyed soul, really great guy, great talent. Um, Then they realized, okay, now we can look at the guitar players. And I was on that list because of that Bolton's, you know, Bob Seeger tour, okay? And when I got this would have been 99, when I got an email from Don, I really thought it was just a joke, you know, why would Don Brewer contact me? You know what I mean? Right. And and then I kind of looked at it going like, "Huh?" And then I wrote it back and I said, "Can we speak on the phone?" And I was actually out in New York helping my parents move. I had to bring them out to Los Angeles and um sometimes you do good things good things happen you know and that's it was legitimate and then I remember the first person I called after that phone call from Don Brewer was Larry Mazur the same guy who told me to go get together with John and I said I just got a call from Don Brewer he wants me to audition for the band what do you what do you think about me being the guitarist and Grand Funk I you know obviously they're gonna have a lead singer and Larry was like that's he was very supportive So I went up to Michigan, everybody lives kind of in a different state, but because Mel's up in the Travis City area, we had a a good rehearsal thing at one of the local casinos up there, and I hit it off really well with those guys, I remember Max being really nervous about me, not musically, but he's looking up things on me, by now there is an internet and social media, right? Uh, and he sees pictures with me and John Karabi, you know, uh, with like sexy girls and he, you know what I mean? You know, and he's looking at the Kiss era, Bruce Kulick, and he's going like, uh, I don't know. Don knew me from the Michael Bolton, which was like, I, I could have been in any, any
2: classic rock band back in the late seventies, early eighties. You know what I mean? I didn't get Kissified until I was in
1: Kiss. You, you know, you understand that. Right. So, so, uh. I I hung out with Max you know he got to know me he realized as soon as I started talking about taking care of my parents he realized I wasn't some party you know crash and burn rock and roll freak you know what I mean Uh, and all we had to do was add a great keyboard player which we found also a guy that played with uh, Bob Seger actually Tim Cashin and uh, there, there was the band and can you believe it it's been 19 years now And we've been gigging as those five guys as Grand Funk, Railroad. it's quite amazing, it really is. And this year, Don's really smart, because I wouldn't know when the anniversaries are, you know what I mean? I I wasn't there from the beginning, but it's the 50th year. It's unbelievable. So we're celebrating 50 years of Grand Funk, which is unbelievable.
0: Now, of the two, of Kiss and of Grand Funk, which one do you think it was you became in sync with Easier and Quickest?
1: You know, I mean, naturally, um, I could easily say that Kiss was more exactly me, but I've been through my years. At least when I got in Kiss, that was probably more natural. But I've always been versatile. You know, I mean, for me to play with those disco artists and to have this... I liked funky music. I liked R&B music. I liked Motown music. I liked, you know, jazz music. Um, That wasn't a stretch at all for me, for me to be in grand funk, you know? I I liked progressive music. You know, could I do as good in yes, as Steve Howe? No, but I liked that music and I probably could learn it. You know what I mean? There was something not that different about the two bands. The version of um, Grand Funk Live that Don Brewer wanted me to learn from was this concert they did in '98 called uh, Bosnia. It was like a uh, when when Bosnia was going through some disastrous you know, political stuff and money things and people dying and starving, whatever. And they did a benefit concert at the Greek Theater and they recorded it. I actually really loved what Mark did on that record compared to the original grand funk records. Um, and he, Don said that our arrangements will be more similar to this and the same thing about the guitar playing. So learn this, you know? So in some ways, if you just, if you didn't share that with me, grand funk would have been a little more of a challenge because I don't really play like Mark Farner, but Mark's uh, performances on that record, um, were really 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 uh, more a bit more martial rock and roll tone you know what i mean that's me you know what i mean like uh you know powerful guitar through a martial amp so uh, you know in, in many ways that made that much easier for me too you know so um uh, again uh in, in many ways uh i think maybe i'm more natural for a kiss but it really wasn't hard for me to be in either I, I really assimilated well.
0: Well, besides the two bands, you've also recorded three solo albums. What is that experience like when you're, when you're the main guy? Well, it's a good question.
1: I was very frustrated with Union, and it wasn't because I had three other guys in the band and, and a principal songwriter partner like John. I enjoyed that. And we worked with some talented producers. Uh, who also helped with the songwriting. But when we kept hitting the wall, I was getting frustrated. And I just felt like I had all this music that I used to present to Kiss. Uh, and that was always a challenge, you know. Uh, like what they would, you know, want to finish with me. But having co-writes with Kiss was a blessing, of course. But I wish I had me even more. You know, it wasn't just about the money I would earn. It was about the status of being a a songwriter with, with Gene and Paul, who have written some tremendous songs. So I, I really had a desire to just screw this, screw the band thing. I have all this material. I'm going to finish it. I'll sing what I can sing. I'll turn others into instrumentals. And I immediately went to my closet of cassettes. Yeah, it was cassettes back then. <laughs> and put together a audio dog which was the first solo record. And my attitude was really simple. I am not going to a label. I already went through a lot of crazy label stuff with an independent label with Union. And it was always a struggle and, a, and, and issues. Yeah, they funded us, but the, the, the stupidity and some of the frustrations, no, no thanks. I'd rather pay for it myself. And my attitude was really simple. I mean, Do It Yourself has been, like, really what the music business is about now, and it has been for many years. But I was one of the pioneers there in, in like, 2000, deciding to do that record, fund it myself, uh, hire a drummer, which was my dear friend Brent Fitz, uh, and play everything on it I could, and, uh, and record it, you know, with a, with a guy that I thought was talented. real proud of the record and that fueled me to, but I used to say, I'm going to, I don't care if I have to sell it out of the trunk of my car. That's how I'm doing it. I don't want a label. I don't want anything. And I learned how to sell my CDs and I would order a thousand and then I'd be ordering another thousand and I'd be ordering another thousand. I'm convinced I I printed at least 10,000 of them and you're in profit. If you do it right, you're in profit after the first thousand that you sell And then it's all gravy, you know. Um, And then then people want to see you play. And then I decided to write another record, which would be Transformer. That was in 2003. And I was really proud of that. Uh, I had John Karabi sing a song for me. Uh, Once again, had Brent do stuff for me. I had Kenny Aronoff, actually, a famous drummer, on some of the first album too. He did help out with a few tracks. And... um, BK3 was a much different journey. I used a producer that was very talented who really wanted me to reach out to uh, some people like Gene Simmons and Steve Lukather and Doug Feiger and just be really brave about asking people to guest on the record. But it took uh, many, many years. And and, uh, we started writing in 2006, and the record didn't come out until 2010. But again, I funded it all you know the buck stopped with me i did license it for a short while because i thought it made sense and uh i don't regret that even though the label eventually went away and i got back the product i got back the rights i licensed it overseas to an italian label that a lot of bands you know would be on but uh bk3 i've created vinyl for it in two different versions uh uh, regular black one, and then the uh, two hundred gram or one hundred eighty gram, which are really they're heavier than that. Red vinyl, and then did a third edition with a with a guy that did a special ob deluxe vis- you know version with all this extra goodies. So um, just super proud that people are still checking out that music. And I've sold of all those three records; they've all sold well, very respect very respectively. So um, I really need to do another one, and I'm hoping to use the band that i toured with on the cruise, you know, the Kiss Cruise, uh, to do some new music, and I'm hoping to get to that um, in the third quarter of this year when uh, our schedules are much better, because two of those guys are touring with Slash, and they're, they're over in Europe now, and uh and it's hard with me, you know, with them being overseas, obviously, to get anything
0: going. Now, do you think it helped your sales because people knew you from Kiss? Like, you know, you go to the Kiss conventions and stuff like that. Does that help you with selling them? Because people know you're talented and they want to probably find out more of your music. Well, absolutely.
1: There's that connection. I, you know, I don't want to be naive. You know, I I can't be naive about the fact that a Kiss fan doesn't necessarily support um, former members with every endeavor they do. Um, obviously, I'm happy when I'm when I'm you know that they're aware of me. If you get what I mean, but honestly, it, it really sometimes is a struggle to get them to connect. To I think you'll really like this. Gene Simmons even sings on one of these songs. His son Nick <laughs> is on one. Oh, by the way, Eric
0: Singer is on this track. You, you get what I mean? Right. It's it's pretty remarkable. <laughs> Now, they don't always support
1: new KISS albums, you know, so to ask them to sometimes stretch out of the, you know, whatever they're, some of them just love Revenge or Crazy Nights or Asylum, and they're KISS fans. They'll support KISS, but it doesn't mean they'll love what I did, but it doesn't mean they're going to support my solo record. So I I do have to struggle with that, and then there's many who, not only for their collection kind of passion – they really want to hear different music and they're willing to hear, you know, the guitar player. I mean, I was always really supportive when the Beatles broke up. You know I had all the Paul McCartney records, the Ringo records, the John Lennon albums, and the George Harrison records. You know what I mean. I, I just did.
0: Now, if if I felt like their work was not turning me on, then you don't continue with it. You get what I mean? Right. Uh, but, but uh, you know, how everybody...
1: Uh, looks at a band and then the parts of the band and how it kind of evolves into solo things. You know, Ace does well as a solo. He always did well, but he doesn't do as big as Kiss. And Ace is, like, pretty pretty well-loved by all of the Kiss fans. You know that. He's an icon. So that's pretty interesting that I, I just I hope for the best, but I don't expect them all to jump on the, uh, the Bruce wagon. I do feel that, uh, you know, my stock is up and people are paying more attention. They know my respect for the band and my years in the group. They've loved the uh, cruise
0: performances that I've done. um, And I hope to continue to make them happy and support my career. Now, if if you never wore makeup, right? Correct. Now, if you had worn makeup, did you ever think what you would have wanted to wear? Oh, I I always make a joke of it because it's such a hotbed
1: You know kind of topic with the band uh you know uh you know eric Carr struggled and became finally the fox at the last minute and they wanted him to be like a hawk or something but anyway and then jimmy bianc you know what i mean but then they realized this is ridiculous we can't keep coming up with characters and that's why when (laughs) it was ready to um uh, move on without ace and peter it just you know eric singer and tommy thayer absorbed the, the the cat and 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 the uh, spaceman, you know. So I used to joke, knowing that it was a cat man, meaning Peter, you know, as a as a kitty cat kind of thing. I used to joke around, and say like, oh, "I'd be the dog," you know. What I mean, because um, I did it. I was really blessed for like over twelve years, uh, no, close to fifteen years. I had a really precious little dog who who was my uh, he was the audio dog. You know what I mean? He put up with me. With the recordings and the guitar playing and the traveling, so I, I owed him a lot and he kept he kept me so centered. Little guy named Joe. There's even fans down in South America that had a tattoo of him. Oh wow. Because you know, I used to share little caricatures of him and drawings <laughs> of him and photos of him online. So Joe the audio dog, you know. So I, I just make a joke and I'd be I beat I be beat the dog. Now thankfully I, I don't have to be any kiss character.
0: Exactly. Now I have a I have a you know, you're playing with the Grand Up Railroad and as you said you do fifty dates. And you know what? What do you do with your time between now? I mean, in between the dates, because you're not you're not in the studio with them. I don't believe. And you know, you go out to the dates and you and you play, and people love the band. But what do you do now? What what what's your goals now? I mean, you know, you had said you, you want you need to do another solo album, but are you producing bands? I know one of the most random things is that one of the song you co-wrote, I guess, with Michael, that was on a Kanye West album. exciting and surprising and you know when when the artists uh, sample or, or redo
1: your music you know it's it's that, that's our catalog you know what I mean so as long as we're credited and paid for uh, it's all, all good um, right now I mean I, 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 what's great is that you know the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014 really did a, a disservice to Kiss they inducted the original guys but then they ignored you know, my era, Eric Carr, and all the fabulous, you know, albums that came out that sold really big albums, you know, that from Asylum with Crazy Nights to Revenge, Hot in the Shade, you know, Gold, Platinum, the huge tours, the whole thing. My walls were filled with uh, upstairs in my home with uh, awards, you know. Um, but Paul was really smart in that slam that they did with Kiss, was that he was trying to show everybody that this band never went away. It, it's been over 40 years. It's, 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 it's been important. Every year was important. Yeah, there wouldn't have been the non-makeup era without the makeup era, but you know. Um, and I just noticed a lot of people, there was that attention to my era a little more. And then the cruise, I finally get the invitation to be on the cruise. And I, I deliver the goods with songs from my era. And it goes over really, really well. And this is my third cruise coming up in, in late October. So the fans are just, and those YouTubes of the performances just went wild. You know what I mean? The fans just got crazy with it. So I just want to continue with more of all that, celebrating my my years in the band, um, doing quality work. I do a lot of session stuff with different people. Uh, I've been, carefully picking interesting things to offer the fans. I did a mini guitar of my multi-swirl from Asylum era of KISS. And then very soon I'm announcing a full version, which I think in my pre-sale emails might sell out anyway, because there's only 24 of them in the first batch, you know. But I just I just really enjoy um, the interaction with the fans, with social media. My uh, Facebook page is... is is very popular on Twitter Instagram my website um, I you know everyone knows how to reach me and, and converse with me and I do engage the fans a lot and the reaction has been great and I think they also know
0: that uh, I, I celebrate my history I don't have I'm not the guy to, to whine and complain you know there's funny musicians who go on these rants you know and that's not me you know I've very fortunate to have the opportunities I've had, and I I do love the fans that support me. So, what's well, there to complain about? Well, that's awesome. I have I have one last question for you, and I don't know if this is true. I read because you never know about Wikipedia, but I always do my research. You know, I'd go to this, and Wikipedia sometimes come completely full of crap. But it says that Meatloaf used to introduce you and your brother as Pretty Boy and Killer.
1: you know and he was always he had a band called skull and he would always make these cross you know he'd cross his arms and make a wild angry face and look like a you know skeleton skull and crossbow and whatever they call that you know what i mean uh bob is definitely killer okay he has the uh, nature of uh that ability even though he, there is a really sweethearted man in there and he was one that stood up to me most, too, many times, which is ironic. And I was the, the much more shy, kind of, uh, you know, uh, pretty boyish uh, kind of guy. I remember Kerrang making the magazine in England making fun of me in Kiss because I looked more like a model, a pretty boy model <laughs> of a rock star than a tough guitar player. You know what I mean? So. You know,
2: Meatloaf was always larger than life, uh, not only physically, but mentally, how he would, you know, be on stage and want to introduce the band in a big way. And he came up with that, and it was very fitting. It really was. So um, we are Killer and Pretty Boy. I remember uh, about 20 years after we didn't have the gig anymore, Meatloaf was still touring. Bob and I went
1: to see him in Santa Monica at a nice venue, and he introduced us to the crowd, and he introduced us as... Bob and Bruce, pretty boy, and you know, kill him, pretty boy. You know, it was
0: so funny. So absolutely true. That's awesome. Well, you know, I want to thank you for taking the time today, Bruce. People, go check it out. Bruce Kulick. It's uh his website is K-U-L-I-C-K dot net. Uh, it's that's how no, you sp- No, no. That one will take you to the right place. It's Bruce Okay, because I'm on dot I'm on .net and it's a really good site. It will still show up in Google and it's okay. It's archived
1: on BruceKulik.com. but now that you mention it, everybody's got to hear the story. Story. My fans are so amazing. One time, in an interview, it was actually with Chris Jericho on his SiriusXM show. I told him how, you know, I don't even have BruceKulik.com. You know the way these people, you know, steal the names of uh, artists and everything. And some fan bought it from and gave it to me in Norway. What a wonderful gift! Right?
0: That, that's so, awesome. If, if Kulik.com is obviously you want to be, you know, yourname.com, right? I'm Cooper. Yeah. I'm CooperTalk.net, and someone has oh, Cooper.com, and then if someone didn't have it, you would have it. Okay? Oh yeah,
2: definitely. So, but anyway, the Kulik.net has a lot of history on Google because I've had it for so many years.
1: But but anyway, and and Facebook is official, Bruce Kulik. There's a blue check next to it. Instagram, Bruce.Kulik, and Twitter is easy to find. And I want to thank you so much. I think you had some great questions. I know you're not the biggest kiss nerd, but you certainly understood my career. And thank
0: you. Well, thank you. And people so follow him. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at CooperTalk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 730 episodes on there. Email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. And remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip, hip, hip is my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.